Welcome to the podcast. We're street smart, business smart, all kinds of smart people share their insights into the world of marketing, career journeys, and personal growth. So sit back and prepare to get enlightened with your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best and brightest from the world of business, marketing, and personal growth to help you harness your inner tenacity and drive your career forward. Throughout the past 20 or so episodes, I've featured the best in class career coaches and branding professionals. And my guest today is not only one of those, but has a significant aha moment in her career and a major career pivot that we'll dig into. Wendy Wiener is an attorney, an award-winning writer who has been featured in more than 50 major media outlets, including CNN, HuffPost, Forbes, Fastco, and Entrepreneur, as a top authority in resume writing, personal branding, and content strategy. All super relevant points that we've been discussing on the podcast. And as a solopreneur and owner of The Writing Guru, her trademark namesake company, she creates powerful career and personal brands for attorneys, top-tier executives, and business leaders. Additionally, she provides high-content writing for corporations and major publications and speaks on the global level about personal branding, resume writing, and a whole lot more that we'll certainly dig into. Wendy landed on my radar as I've been engaging with top career coaches. We connected, and I knew that we had a talk. We had some great synergy, and she's going to add a tremendous amount of value here in addition to telling her stories. Wendy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Awesome. Good stuff. So why don't we jump in and give my tribe a little bit more on your origin story. I know I set it up for them, but why don't you tell us a little bit, you know, real quick of, you know, where you came from and how you got to where we are today. Sure. So I graduated from Stetson Law School in 2003, began practicing law. Um, I got admitted in 2004. I had a little bit of an illness, but I got admitted in 2004 and practiced for 11 and a half years before I made the leap into becoming a full-time entrepreneur. And if you were to ask me 10 years ago, right when I graduated law school, if I would have ever been a business owner or a professional writer, I would have told you maybe a professional writer because that was always a dream of mine. But being a business owner is not something that was ever within the facets of my mind. That, 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 that's, that's interesting. What kind of law did you practice? So I jumped right into insurance, defense, and coverage litigation a really cerebral area of the law because you're, you're constantly analyzing insurance policies, but I did a very heavy amount of litigation. So my focus was really going into court, taking a ton of depositions, and I centered on insurance fraud. So I became almost a true expert in being able to diagnose when an insured, you know, basically tried to defraud the insurance company. Right proceeds for a fraudulent arson claim or a fraudulent chip tile case. So that was what I concentrated my experience on. Of course, I was also doing appellate work, which is a very another cerebral part of the law. I'm doing a lot of brief writing and constant drafting of extensive motions and court documents. And then I was also simultaneously teaching college writing classes. And that was sort of what opened my eyes to wanting to do the professional writing. Got it. Because I loved teaching. Um, I loved helping my students kind of define their careers, helping them with their interviewing skills, resume writing skills, and then eventually became the pivot for me to open my business in 2010. So Wendy, what, what was that aha moment? What would, like, if you could pinpoint it and go back, was like, I know for me, like I had my aha moment. What, what was that, that pinpoint aha epiphany that you had? 
Sure. So it was in 2010 and I got diagnosed with thyroid problems. I've always had issues with my weight and I always ate healthy and I just would never lose weight, you know, and I was, I just started gaining weight and I wasn't sleeping a lot. And I had, you know, horrific anxiety um, from work and stress. And I went to an endocrinologist and I, I learned that I have thyroid problems and I was reading about ways to lose weight and how, you know, people with thyroid problems struggle with their weight. And I read this article about this woman who had run a half marathon. And so I thought, well, that's something I would never do. Let me try it. You know, I'm one of those people who I am not afraid of risk at all. And I'm willing to take the leap into things. So I decided to run a half marathon. And when I ran the half marathon, I wound up um, loving it, and I decided to put my name into the lottery for the New York City Marathon. Um, never thought I'd get in. It takes usually a few times before you can get in, and I wound up getting into the. That's New crazy. So imagine this girl who's totally not <laughs> athletic at all is only never run. Ran, uh, never, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't even run the mile when I was in elementary school. No. Athletics was not my thing. You know, I'm smart, but I'm not good in, in any athletic capacity. And I'm not very coordinated either. So basically, I just, you know, got into the lottery, decided I was going to do it. My parents thought I was crazy. They said, you know, you don't even drive 26.2 miles to a <laughs> no. marathon. Um, I said, you know what? It's all mind over matter. I kept reading all these books and blogs about it. And so ultimately, I decided I'm going to go through with it. And I ran it and I finished. And at the time, I started doing CrossFit also, which is like also something mm -hmm. I forever do. Um, and just all these different things kind of opened my eyes to the fact that, you know, life is mind over matter and that, you know, just because I wasn't an athlete didn't mean that I couldn't run a marathon. Just because I'm a lawyer doesn't mean that I can't be a professional writer or business. Mm -hmm. So around that time when I started having health problems, I really confided in my parents that I want to leave the practice of law. And they turned around and thought I was crazy. They're all that money, all that time, just throwing it down the drain just to, just to write resumes, right? Right, exactly. And so um, the problem that I had was, you know, here I have built up this amazing career, I'm, you know, starting to decide to go into in-house corporate work. And why would I leave? You know, I made this investment of $150,000 in my legal education, right. six-figure salary. I've got these cushiony jobs. You know, financially, could I be making more money? Sure. We could all be making more money. And right. I decided, you know, I really wanted to have a business. My mom said, well, what about Calling your business the writing guru because that's what you are. It was one of those things where they were consistently, um, you know, calling me that it was my nickname. And so, love it. I opened my business. I eventually trademarked it. It's my brand name. I mean, for me, I know people have these issues with gurus and experts and etc. But ultimately, the writing guru is a very sentimental name that my parents gave yeah, to it's me. A, it's a, it's a, it's a great brand, and, and we could go with it. So you have a quote that I absolutely love, and and it goes like this quote. It was all achieved through the power of leveraging my law degree, my background as a college writing professor, and my own story of career unhappiness that drove me to want to help others find theirs. You kind of hit on a little bit, but you know, how, how, did you, how did that manifest? I want to talk about the unhappiness. What was it when you were practicing law? Because it's interesting, right? Like you, People go down a path. I mean, I spent 15 years working in advertising and marketing before my moment, but, and I was unhappy, and that, that was a trigger for me. But what was that? What was making you unhappy practicing as an attorney? 
It's such a great question because if you were to look at me as a lawyer and if you would have met me as a lawyer, you would have said, wow, she's really good at it. I mean, I'm a great investigator. I'm a good thinker. I'm a good analyzer. I was an amazing brief writer. I'd go in, I'd be able to take a deposition and flip it in such a way that by the end of the deposition, I was getting the insured to confess that they committed fraud. That's great of the claim. And so I, I was really good at it. You know, one of my old bosses used to say that I was kind of the hidden gem. I was a secret weapon. I love and, it. And, but ultimately what I hated about law are the things that you need to do to be a lawyer. You have to be a shark. You have to be aggressive. You have to be litigious and adversarial. And I'm not really an adversarial person. Sure. Do I like to argue? Do I like to debate? Of course I was, you know, high school but I get it. I'm married to an attorney. I mean, I can't get it. I can never win an argument. I think in the 12 years <laughs> that we've been together, I think in the 12 years that we've been together, I think she let me win maybe two or three arguments just to give me a couple in the win column. My husband's the same way. He does sales. And so terrible. he's a chatterbox and he'll say to me sometimes like, I think I just won. Can you please admit on the record that I won this argument? Yeah. Sometimes I'll even just be like when, she, when we're in an argument or we're talking about something, I'll be like, stop lawyering me. <laughs> You're my wife. We're in a relationship. I'm your husband. I'm not. I'm not a client. Um, right. So one of the other things, and and it's a it's a real hot topic right now, is is this ethics in in the resume industry, um, and it's really interesting too because you kind of hit it on it before. Right now, if you look over LinkedIn, everyone's a life coach. Everyone's a career coach. Everyone's a guru at some point, and I really feel that it it there. Listen. The goal of my show is I feature the, the best, the real ones, the real authentic ones, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But I think there's a lot of fraud out there. I think there's a lot of people, you know, hopping on that bandwagon, um, you know, trying to sell courses and really just trying to give advice on things that they're zero qualified for. Um, but you certainly are and you check the boxes on that. So let's let's dig in a little bit to a hot topic, you know, ethics in the in the resume industry. And you're speaking um, at a conference soon around securing and protecting your online reputation in the digital age. Um, could you fill us in a little bit on what, what's happening out there? Because I think a lot of people aren't really sure. aware. Some sure. background so, info would be awesome. Yeah. I mean, when I entered the resume space, I immediately got certified. I joined all the professional associations. But as I began to realize and sort of delve into the industry, it's not a regulated industry. And I would say in about 2016, 2017 is when all of these internet marketers came about because LinkedIn sort of promotes this online marketing community. And you have a world now where everyone's an entrepreneur, everyone's this online social media branding expert. And because the bar is so low for entering these industries, it's not like the legal profession where you have to no. get pass a bar, get Real licensed to practice, right? Or, right, or you know, pass the series seven, to, you know, to get people to purchase stocks, all of that. So there's no bar really to entry in the industry. So if you decided tomorrow, Adam, that you want to call yourself a career coach or a writer, there's no one stopping you. Or a recruiter. Or right. Um, and so the problem today is because there's no regulation in the industry, the industry has had quite a bit of cyber attacks over the last year. And I have been a victim of it where, you know, there's a resume writing company that produces these self-ranked top 10 lists. And they start writing these lists for every major U.S. city, state, and it's all it is is a deceptive SEO tactic to drive more traffic to their site while also putting themselves in the number one slot and then ranking their competitors. And it's, it's actually against the FTC guidelines. I happen to be a plaintiff in a federal lawsuit right now. I filed a lawsuit against the company because 
my name was consistently being ranked in these articles. I started getting fake reviews by this person. Everything it's defamation of character. It's fraud. Defamation, right. So I have so, a, a, a multi-account complaint in federal Florida, federal court pending. Wow. Defamation, account for practices, and then one for material misrepresentation for a fraudulent uh, takedown notice under the Digital Millennium. Well, Copyright I mean, I, I I applaud you for for putting up a fight because most people wouldn't do that. They'd say it's not worth it's not worth the effort. You know, how's that going to affect me? But I think that's where your law degree certainly comes in, and your tenacity. Yeah. You don't want to see your your good name smeared out there. Right. Let me get this straight. So there's these fraudulent companies or services that are really just driving leads for other people, right? That that's kind of the impression I'm getting, and they're just trying to get leads. They're just trying to get email addresses of people that want to work on their resumes, and they're using other professionals out there. Your name to draw them in and giving you fake reviews. Well, right. So it really started with a top 10 list of best executive resume writers on LinkedIn. And then it wound up leading hmm. to uh, self-ranked articles. And then all of a sudden I started getting fake reviews of people that were never my clients and they were all judging my prices. The, the fake reviews were all about my pricing. Right, because that's what they're doing. They're doing it to drive their <laughs> price. To, it's, it's a price comparison. Right, and that's, the that's thing bullshit. is that the, at the end of the day, the types of clients I serve would not go to this person or his company. The types of clients I serve are general counsels, chief legal officers, C-suite. Right, seasoned executives. Seasoned executives earning anywhere from 350 to over three plus million dollars a year that are willing to make the investment. Price is not at the forefront of their mind. They wanna work with someone who's got the legal background, who's got the sophisticated executive career already established, not someone who's no, no offense, a young millennial fresh out of school. So I think at the end of the day, the problem with all of these top ranked articles is it's just an SEO tactic. It's just a marketing ploy. And it's not really anything that has to do with the credentials of the individual writer. And I decided to take a stance for the resume industry, which is why I'm speaking. So I'm the former ethics chair. I'm really outspoken about ethics in the industry. I've also always said, everywhere in fine print all over my website talk to several resume writers before you make a decision that it's not because i'm better than the next person ultimately what it comes down to is it's a personalized service yep talk to the writer that whose personality and style and process work the best for you and i'll tell you there's plenty of business to go around i'm one person oh yeah I can't produce more than two to three resumes a week because I would never get the project on plus. It's a, it's a quality, it's the quality of the work and you're not, you're not using templates. So let's talk about that. That's a good pivot point. Um, so generally speaking, I mean, I look at hundreds of resumes a week and I've talked a lot about my position as a recruiter, the things that I look for in a resume. And, and for me, it's really about relevance to the role that you're applying for without bullshitting. And I could see through it all the way. And the other piece that I really like to see is I like to see, quantifiable results. You know, I managed this email marketing campaign and we saw a 35% lift year over year. And this is what I did for that. I like to see action results. So let's start with two questions. The first thing, generally speaking, and we're not talking specifically about like a legal resume. What are some things, some high level things that people are doing completely wrong on their resumes? So the first thing that I notice is a lot of times it's very generic. And the truth is the riches are in the niches, whatever, either whether you're a business owner. The riches are in the niches. I love it. Like it's almost like a cousin of devils in the details. Right. I mean, right. think about it. If you are a digital marketing executive, you need to state that from the get-go. Someone that sees your resume, if you're applying for digital marketing roles and you're focused on innovation and technology 
and let's say user experience, I just consulted with someone about yeah. that. So I'm using that as my example. That works. Those are the keywords that you're going to find in every job posting. And those are the keywords that have to formulate the branding at the top of your resume. So a lot of times people have a resume that is just simply a summary of their work history. It's not narrowly tailored and it really needs to be. It needs, there needs to be a theme that when someone looks at your resume today, they know what your key skills are. Yep. Leverage those key skills throughout your career. So for example, people will start off saying that they are a results driven professional, but then who isn't? Nowhere in the confines. I'm interested in no results. I am not a results-driven professional. I'm, a, I'm barely a professional, and I moderately care <laughs> about results. I mean, it's <laughs> thing. so. What are your thoughts? You know, from a, from a structure standpoint, you know, I like the objective. Some people are against it. I like the objective because I like to see if they took advantage of that time and space for that quick headline. For me, that's your headline. And if I see yes. a headline that's customized, that's relevant, and it's on target. I'm going to be more inclined to read further down. Right. So let me just rephrase that and say the objective that in, in what you're saying versus what people put as an objective, like I'm looking for a job to refine my computer skills. No, that's not the objective. The objective is Sorry, to get sad. a job, yeah, right? Yeah, no, no. But you want it to be more of a branded statement. Exactly. With core focus areas at the top. Um, and then the professional summary. Then what I do, which is my own personal style, is I'll have a short professional summary of maybe three sentences, sometimes two sentences, and then have a bullet point, four or five bullet points underneath of things that the person is known for. So let's say brand reputation management. I may put brand reputation management, boldface, then put a colon and use an example from their career trajectory that shows how they're an expert in brand reputation management. Let's say, for example, they're very published in the industry. Because I have a lot of people, they come to me, they're, they're published authority right, or right, they're a true subject matter expert, yep. right? Mm -hmm. I always think that to myself, like, you're not a subject matter expert until you're out there speaking about the content and getting paid to speak as well as putting out published content, not just on your blog, but in outside third-party sources. So I'll use that as an example. Another big thing is board leadership and advisory. That's another thing that I'll focus on. So the idea is that when a person reads that introduction to your resume, it's like the back of the book yep. of, that you're right. Like what if they don't continue reading though? They'll, they'll still remember that. Now, a couple of questions and I, and I get these all the time from people, um, length of resume. And, and my school of thought is unless you're a PhD and you've been working more than 25 years, you could keep it in a decent font within one page front and back, meaning two pages. Because otherwise it yeah. becomes an eye chart. And it also means that you're not being, it, it, it's brevity, right? If you can't get your key points across for each job that you had in a few bullet points, then, then, then you got a situation there. What are your thoughts on that? I agree. So when I was in law school, my, my second semester research and writing professor used to have a statement and I've really always held true to it. Simplicity, clarity, and brevity. And Love it. Is where I, I get resumes all the time that could be anywhere from five to six pages. And I tell them, listen, you really got to keep it to two pages. Now, here's where I, I will have a three page resume. If the client has, let's say, a 20 plus year career and they've got board leadership, speaking engagement, publications, and multiple degrees. So I've had people that will have an M, you know, a bachelor's degree, an MBA, a JD, and maybe they have another master's degree. And then they've also got all these like, you know, Six Sigma belts and things like that. So that's going to take up a lot of space. 
in the education section. So maybe the education, the board leadership, and the extracurricular stuff like the speaking and the publications, that will be on the third page functioning more like an addendum to the resume. But the meat and potatoes is going to be within two pages. Now, are there people with one page resumes? Yes. Let's mm -hmm. say for the same company for 20 plus years and they've only held three roles within the company. And let's say they only have a bachelor's degree and an MBA and they don't have all these advanced certifications and licenses, then it makes sense for them potentially to have a one page resume. There's no hard, fast rule of how long your resume should be. Okay. It shouldn't be excessive because you have right. to think about it. If someone's spending less than 10 seconds looking at your resume, they're reading a six page CV. You know? Right. And from, and from, and from a, a readability standpoint too, you know, I get into this conversation too with people. I always say clean, no graphics, no images, no logos, no colors, keep it simple, keep the font um, certainly readable. And I, and I assume you would agree with that also. Um, what is your opinion on cover letters? So statistically, only 30% of cover letters are read, but I do think cover letters play an important role. But here's the thing. I give every client a master cover letter with the caveat that they should include a sentence or two that is pertinent to the company and also the company's work culture, mission statement, and the job posting. If you're just going to use a blanket cover letter and not add anything of value to what you can offer that company specifically of what they're looking for in the job position, then you're just going to be generic. Like right. It's, it's, it's a wasted opportunity. If you're going to use it, you got to maximize. And here's another spin on that too. And I've said this multiple times. I've excluded or, you know, rejected candidates on their cover letter. If they fail, if they, if they leave it, if they don't personalize it for me or they have it as a different company, right? If they accidentally leave in another position, that's careless. Mm -hmm. That is. could burn you. And I almost say it's almost easier. So I also say the cover letter is great if you need to explain a career gap, a pivot. That's what that opportunity is for because you don't always have the resume for that. This is true. And then the other thing that I would do always, because um, I'm actually being interviewed in U.S. News and World Report in an article, I think it might be coming out tomorrow or Monday, about business letters. And that is exactly how it should be in a business letter. You really want it. Absolutely. The actual person do your I always say do your deal, diligence right I say to people do your deal, due diligence when you're researching a resume writer do your due diligence when you are applying for a job go the extra mile try to figure out who is the person that you're going to be addressing that cover letter to and don't be afraid to also follow up with e-notes on LinkedIn and try to build mm -hmm. activity with others on LinkedIn like I don't I, and we'll probably get into this later, but I don't buy into engagement pods on LinkedIn. I don't buy into, um, you know, comment for comment type of tip for tap. Lame. Yeah, I don't care about, listen, if I only get a thousand views on a post, it doesn't matter because what really matters is I'm still getting clients and leads. Half my clients don't even pay attention to the content that I put out there on LinkedIn. They're finding me in a Forbes article. They're finding me on Google search. They're finding me in a HuffPost article. So they're finding me through other traditional ways but the thing is, when you're a job seeker, you really have to condition yourself to start building a network where you're connected to the right people. Yeah, and I absolutely love that. So going back to something we talked about earlier is really finding the right resume coach. What are some questions that a potential candidate should be asking a coach to find out if they're right for them? Oh, it's a great question. So number one, 
what is the writer's process? So every writer has a different process. Now, some of the writers that give, let's say, an expedited three to five day delivery process or have lower pricing. So let's say anywhere from 300 to maybe 600, $700 for a resume. They're probably not spending a lot of time interfacing with the client. And for example, executive clients, they want high touch service. Right. For example, I give a questionnaire and some people say, oh, questionnaire, you're giving them busy work. It's not that. I haven't lived the client's life. I haven't lived their career. So it's a personal inventory, a fact intensive, questionnaire to learn as much as I can about them, the value they bring to each company, accomplishments they perceive. They answer that inventory over a week and a half period, which is why my process is a little bit longer than some resume writing companies. How many how many times do you talk to a candidate during the process? I mean, I'm sure there's an initial intake call, you have, you have your, right. your process, your questionnaire. Like, how, do, how does that work without getting, without giving away too many of your secrets? No, no. I mean, it's no secret. I have everything published on my site. So I start off, I always recommend a consultation call. Do I get direct sales to my site all the time? I recommend having the consult call because then I could go over my process. I actually encourage people to talk to other writers before they book with me. I know some people will say, oh my gosh, why are you telling me to go talk to a competitor? I, I, you, you want them to have that point of comparison. They want, do you want to show, you want them to see the value that you bring for the amount that you're charging so they could ration that. Exactly. So, right. Cause someone comes to my site, they're like, wow, she charges 3000 to $3,500. That's a lot of money. Why is she charging so much money for a two page resume? It's not about the resume. It's about the entire process. So I talk to them on the phone three times during the process. That's three plus hours of coaching. And I don't limit them to just an hour of time. So if someone comes to me, for example, and they need an hour and a half to do the intake call, I'm going to give them an hour and a half to do the yeah, intake it's, call. It's your time. Your time is valuable. Right. I do the questionnaire, then the intake call, then I deliver the resume, then I get on the phone with them again, I do a strategy call, we talk about edits, we talk about how to send out the resume, then I do their LinkedIn content, then I do a marketing call with them on LinkedIn. So that's LinkedIn as well. It's not, it's it's not a, just the resume, it's a full service coaching. Craft. It's no, 15 I, to 20 plus hours invested yeah. for me to do the project. So of, of course, and there's a value to that. There is. And so I get a lot of people that come to me and say, hey, can you just tweak or update my resume? I don't do that because mm. service, right? I've had people, I've offered $295 in-depth resume review call, but I don't offer an editing process on that call for a reason because right. it's time to learn about someone and their goals and their entire career history. So let's, let, it's interesting too, because you talked about LinkedIn, which brings me to branding, which is hot these days. I mean, that's what I'm doing with this podcast. I mean, it really is about taking my brand to the people. And, and my whole thing is connecting and adding value. And that's what I'm doing by having great folks like yourself on there. You know, when we talk about branding and, and personal branding and personal business branding, they're, they're kind of one and all in the same in the social world that we live on. And from your point of view and, and your perch where you sit on, you know, what are people doing wrong when they're branding on LinkedIn? So I think that people are too focused on um, necessarily marketing their service rather than marketing who they are. So I have a different approach than a lot of resume writers when I post content on LinkedIn. I am not necessarily going for likes or views or follows or anything like that. I want people to understand my voice, see me for the writer that I am, and then ultimately, if, if there are people that want to connect with me because they want to follow my content, great. If there are people that contact me because they want to work with me, great. But I don't use LinkedIn as my sole lead generation. It can't be. 
I actually have more followers on Instagram. I have nearly 16,000 followers on Instagram and I get tons of people sending me uh, direct messages, DMs, um, just about like being inspired by the things that I write. So I'm more of a writer than anything. And that I love it. Brand. Like even if you looked at my LinkedIn feed, not every post is a picture of me. I don't need people to see pictures of me. I want people to see a picture of a beautiful scenery or a quote that really resonates with those are the things that I like to do. So okay. my style of, of posting and generating content is, is very different than a lot of people in my industry where they're just shoving their thoughts it's or it's opinions. Just a pitch. It's just a pitch all the time. And I, and I think that people really need to showcase their subject matter expertise versus always being on and selling and always pitching. And I see a lot of people, especially in the coaching world, regurgitating the same content just spun a different way. And it's very yeah, one-sided, short-sighted. And I, and I think that they only have one thing in mind and it shows a lack of depth of their mindset. And that's not what you want in a coach. So let's um, switch it up a little bit, a uh, little bit of rapid fire here. What does the word authentic mean to you, Wendy? To me, the word authentic means staying true to yourself. And again, not putting content out there for views or likes or comments, but putting stuff that really resonates with the essence of who you are. Great. What is the single best piece of advice that you have ever received? Uh, from my dad. It would be, uh, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. I love it. That's a good one. What was the biggest failure that you've had in your career and what did you learn from it? Oh, that's a difficult question. Um, I would say the biggest failure that I've had in my career um, you know, may have been walking away from the practice of law and never considering um, moving up more in the corporate counsel role um, that I was in. Uh, there was a lot of opportunity out there even early on in my career and I didn't pursue the corporate counsel roles as much um, because I thought that I needed to work at a law firm. And I would say that would have been the biggest failure in my career. Maybe Is it a failure or is that a regret? I was a regret, I would say. And I was just going to get to that. I don't yeah. consider myself a failure at anything. I don't believe in the word fail. Nope. I think that everything's a life lesson and you learn from it. So I would say one of the regrets in my legal career would have been leaving it without ever giving myself the opportunity to have gone more in depth into corporate counsel roles, opposed to just the two roles Fair that enough. I originally had. Fair enough. And what has been your greatest accomplishment? Um, for me, my greatest accomplishment has been the number of publications that I've been in. Um, I really loved writing for the Huffington Post. I think that for me was an incredible accomplishment. I think it's more about the breadth of publications that I've gone into, not just as a featured expert and getting quoted in them, but also putting out the actual content articles. And then, um, of course, getting the opportunity to write paid content for Inc. Magazine. That's, that's awesome. And I definitely want to connect with you offline about that. So two questions that I ask every guest that come, that come on the podcast. And the first, and for, first one, what is your superpower, Wendy? What is something that you do better than anybody else? What is something that you have ingrained in your DNA? What is your superpower? I think being authentic and writing from the heart is probably my superpower. And also being able to sort of see the big picture even in someone's career that remains authentic to them. So it becomes their voice. And that was the other thing that I was going to add in that relates to resume writing is you see a lot of what I call churn and burn style resumes um, that are very generic. And then when you right. 
time to learn about the client's true background um, and you, you know, deliver a resume in just a matter of a couple of hours or draft in a couple of hours, that's where you lose the authenticity. So I think being authentic and my ability to be able to be authentic both for myself and for my clients, that's probably one of the best skills that I have. That's, that's fantastic. And Wendy, when things are great, when you want to show gratitude and feel gratitude or when things are not going well and you're having a, a real crappy day, crappy week, something happened with a client, you're dealing with a lawsuit. What do you look to for your North Star? What pulls you up? Um, so I absolutely love my dog. <laughs> I have a 14-year-old Shih Tzu. I, I talk about him a lot. Like he's a real person. What's he's his name? Riley. Um, I've had him for over 13 years. I adopted him when he was a year old. He's the love of my life. Um, and so, you know, my dog, that, and I don't know if you have a dog, but there's nothing like the unconditional love of a dog. You can be having the worst day. My dog knows when I'm having a bad day. Um, and then, of course, my Peloton bike, which I mean, I think that everyone should own one. <laughs> and Peloton, if you're looking for a sponsor, you could look right here for the podcast. We'd love to have you on. Wendy, thank you. This was absolutely fantastic. Again, you know, my goal is to provide value by featuring guests like yourself who are experts, who give tangible advice. And in closing thoughts here, it's okay to ask for help, especially in something as important as your resume. It is a key to opening up many career doors, and it's critical that if you do choose to work with a career resume pro, that you know the right questions to ask before engaging. And if you choose to write it yourself, it's critical that you have all the tips, tricks, and know what hiring managers and recruiters are looking for, and professionals like Wendy add valuable, actionable insight and advice. And again, my goal here is to arm you, the job seeker, with every tool at your disposal to give you that competitive advantage, because that's what it's about. It's about standing up. And I hope that you truly find value from industry professionals like Wendy and others that we feature here. They are out there if you need help. All you have to do is engage them and know how to do it right. Wendy, where can folks connect with you? Where could they find you? And I'll definitely have the links below. Tell us a little bit. Sure. So my website is writingguru.net. And on all social media channels, it's the same handle, The Writing Guru. And I will have all those links below. Wendy, thank you so much for joining me today. This is awesome and I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. And to everyone else listening, thank you again for joining us on the podcast. Please be sure to follow us on all the social media channels. Links will be below. Subscribe, comment, network, and remember, take your online offline. Thank you for joining us and catch us next week for another amazing episode of the podcast. Wisdom is forever, but for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode jam-packed with more incredible humans. For more info, please visit www.nhptalentgroup.com.